Professionals are not educated. You should go to DBT. Let me play my part. Check to hate. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. Girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless because the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to create change. I don't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> we had talked for a second about, uh, you know, accommodating the disease versus trying to get stronger and tougher, mm -hmm. which not not to say that that's easy. And then I think I asked you about, like, like early on skills that you use for mm -hmm. emotional regulation. You talked about music and stuff. And did we go somewhere else after that? I, I, know I just ruined the flow. <laughs> You're like, we should come back to that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How how do you how do you recognize or what skills do you use? You know, later on, how do you deal with the PTSD in that early on? Well, it goes with all addictions. You have to learn how to operate. You know, and when you come out of a treatment center or facility and you're plopped back in the society, whether it's or you go out of jail or you come out of the military, you know, how do you operate in today's society? You don't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to relearn how to do things and if you've suffered some trauma there's going to be triggers there and you have to learn how to recognize those or at least adjust your behavior to the world around you because it's not going to adjust to you right you know part of being in the, in the transitional housing that's what the whole idea is about you know you come out of treatment well they don't give you skills to operate in society anymore so hopefully we do that here you know, mm -hmm. we go to the grocery store, we do everything we do in a family, exposing you to the outside world, to all the things that are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And if there are triggers, or, and we've, been, we've had that experience, right, mm -hmm. a couple of times. Um, and how do you deal with that, yeah. right? Part of it is, like you said, exposure to that and learning how to manage yourself after being triggered. Mm. You know, I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. No. <laughs> you remember the um, car racing? Oh, uh, that wasn't a trigger. That was just, just like overstim. that was like overstimulating me. Like we went to like a racetrack thing and it was so loud, and I was like, "Oh, I can't do this." It's like the people and the yeah. heat and the noise. And, yeah. Um, but like after being at your uh, going mm -hmm. to visit your family, mm -hmm. right? And. You know, you spent some time with them with dinner and that. Yeah, well, it wasn't really a trigger. So I they wanted me to wait like a month before I saw my family. But my brother was getting married in a couple of weeks. And I was like, I think it would be good practice to like eat with them once before like that. And I was feeling like really positive and motivated and like really just wanted to push myself and stuff. So yeah. I went to their house and I like pushed myself really hard but then like after I did and I ate like quite a bit and like all that we were in a good time then as soon as I got in their car I just like totally shut off like yeah. I don't even know what happened but it was like I was doing good and then like I don't know if it was like a self-sabotage thing or what but it kind of just like flipped it was like no in between you know do you have 
Yeah, those extremes are tricky. Yeah. Do you have, like, extreme feelings sometimes right following a meal? Yeah, I'd say, like, right after or sometimes before, but I think it's, like, when I push myself harder than I should be. So, like, I'd only been living here two weeks, and it probably wasn't. Like, time I was just feeling so motivated in the, the, yeah. the second. <laughs> like, we all felt like it was good, like, including myself, and then some just, I don't even know. Well, subjectively, it's objectively good to eat, <laughs> but uh, but then at the same time, like if it you know you shut down afterwards, it kind of makes me wonder like did that bring up again that idea of feeding your stomach and then you have your emotions come back again, mm-hmm. and how do you get used to that on a daily basis to where every time you eat, your body doesn't freak out and your mind shuts down so that you mm-hmm. just you know I don't know if you like went numb or what it was like or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you how do you adjust to that and start to deal with things that feel like they're out of your control, just bodily reactions, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, we do process a lot, um, kind of before, during, after. Um, a lot of people use distraction in the beginning, you know, when they're mm-hmm. getting through a tough situation. Um, and then sometimes you just have to sit with the uncomfortable yeah. and just do it, yeah, mm-hmm. which is hard. Um, one thing I was going to bring up was uh, it seems like there's this sort of like fear-based motivation. At least they tried to use that for me in treatment. Mm-hmm. Like they they took me to the hospital and they did an MRI of my um, brain, and mm-hmm. they told they showed me how much brain matter that I had lost because of malnutrition, mm-hmm. and said, you know, if you continue this, you will never gain that back. Wow. Wow. Was that like a wake-up call, or were you like, hey, this is overkill, folks? I was like, yeah, so it doesn't matter. I mean, I was at oh. such a bad point where it really yeah. didn't even... It it was like, okay, well, I still... so deep that it was... Like, yeah, I'm like, I still don't know how to get out of this hole. You're telling me that I'm, like, hurting myself, but I've been hurting myself for 10 years, yeah. 20 years. So how is this supposed to help? So you didn't necessarily need to know the risks. You needed to know the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And they, it's easier to tell someone the risks of their behavior than help them fix it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's tricky. Yeah, that is. that would be an easy way out. Hey, by the way, thanks for coming here for help because you know you're destroying yourself. Just to reiterate, you're destroying for yourself. yourself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can teach you how to maintain a healthy lifestyle mm-hmm. as opposed to, oh, look at what you're doing to yourself, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like it would be like someone goes to somewhere for smoking cessation and they say, well, I don't want lung cancer and I love my family and I want to see my grandson's wedding and then they have all these great reasons and they want to get better and the person says, well, you don't want lung cancer, but let me tell you about emphysema. Like, okay, we get it. We get it. (laughs) (laughs) There's only so much gloom and doom is going to help a person and I think a lot of people with an eating disorder live in a dark headspace anyway. Oh, yeah. um, I'm not, I don't sit here and act like I'm the expert. I just have observed a few mm-hmm. things. And I just don't... I want people who hear this to know they're not the only ones. Yeah. Like they do relate to some of the stuff that you're saying. Yeah. So that's why I throw things out there. So that Because what we were saying earlier, a lot of people don't have anyone they talk about this stuff with. People yeah. come to Kelly Nicole Foundation events and say, like, I don't have anyone in my friends and family that I can talk about this with. And I look mm-hmm. at their social media and they've got the smiles and they've got... I call mm-hmm. it the avatar... They've got that fake mm-hmm. face to the world. Um, not because they're bad people, but that's we kind of have to do that. Right. But then where can they take that down and just be like, I feel like shit today. Well, don't mm-hmm. they wear that as a protector too, you know? But if right? you didn't, wouldn't you be called antisocial? 
So many people are so afraid of offending somebody else, or being offended, or offended, or or even afraid of not being offended. Mm-hmm. Boy, I must there must be something wrong with me if I'm not offended by that. Everybody else is. You know? Oh, that's huge. That's that's that comes back to the identity politics thing. I know that's a little political, but I th- I feel like it negatively affects mental health. So I bring it up now and then. Like when people are offended on behalf of groups they're not in, right? Like telling me what I should be offended by. Right. How dare you when someone misgendered you? I'm like, I've been misgendered since I'm eight years old. I'm gonna be okay. Right. If that was a problem for me, I would say it. And I don't misgender trans people. It's definitely not on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't owe someone else being offended at something that doesn't offend me. Right. It's just. Yeah. It's like, Absolutely. Because what are we teaching? You know. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's that's a tricky one for me, and I feel like we're just going through the looking glass. <laughs> like we're going into such a weird place where it's the polarization, you know. And that I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday about kind of the death of conversation. Like when I sat down and said, <clears throat> "I want this podcast to feel like people are eavesdropping," mm-hmm. and I don't really talk to the audience very often. Um, it's because I feel like people don't talk to people they don't agree with anymore, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's a dying art form. Mm. Right. No one wants to disagree or have, you know, the opposite. And if they do, they just keep to themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you don't just disagree. You're ruining the world and you're in the wrong camp and you're destroying everything and you're the reason that blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And everybody is Hitler. Like, if you disagree with someone, they're automatically Hitler. Like, excuse me, my grandparents ran from the Nazis. I'm actually German. (laughs) I can explain this to you. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it all depends who you're talking with, too. Like, if you know you're talking to a super open-minded person, like, I feel like it's a lot easier, you know, to, like... If you don't know the person, or if you know they're just like not, they're just gonna be an argument and not a conversation. Because it's such a like, if there's a conversation, I don't mind talking politically, religion, like spirituality, anything. I love talking about that stuff. But if I know the person's just gonna be argumentative, then it's like, nah, you're not the person to talk about this kind of stuff with, you know. And I wonder if those skills came back, like if that culture of conversation and, and civic disagreement and stuff came back, if people would feel more open about talking about the things they don't feel like they can talk about with people, and, you know, a.k.a. mental illness. Right. Like, if we had a more open society where we weren't all in our camps and all in our tribes mm-hmm. and waving our gang colors in the air, could we say to someone who's, like, a close friend but someone that you've never talked about X, Y, Z with, mm-hmm. yeah, I deal with some shit, you know, meals are hard for me, and I won't go into a ton of detail, but you know, thanks for hanging out with me while I try to get this mm-hmm. burger down or whatever. And maybe they could just be like, okay, I don't know what that means that this person just said to me, but I can feel that it's important to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, why is that not more of a universal skill? It seems so basic. Right. But how many people wouldn't even be willing to open the door that much to someone, even a friend? Mm-hmm. You know? And it, well, and we have people with, I'm celiacs, and it, people invite us over to their house or to, out to dinner or whatever, and they're like, oh, I feel so bad. Well, what, what do I need to do? And, I, you know, and I'm like, don't do anything. Just chill, mm-hmm. relax. I'll adjust. Because <laughs> they're care like myself. gluten-free or something? Or what right. do you mean? Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's not normal. People are so afraid of not accommodating or be offensive that, mm-hmm. you know, they, they struggle with it. That's like, relax. Yeah. It's okay. You know, I'll adjust. I'll take care of myself, and we're all good. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, but I can say that about being celiac or gluten free. You know, I can even say that about being a, a drug addict or an alcoholic. But there's still such a stigma on eating disorders. Mm-hmm. You know, because people are afraid when they hear that too. 
oh no, well, I don't know what to do for you. I don't know how to do that, you know, and that's not good, so I can't deal with this right now. Yeah. <laughs> right? So what do you do, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think even there's a lot of family members I'm talking to my mentees about how their family relates to them and how they're helping them or not helping them. And there's some that their siblings don't even know that they're struggling with an eating disorder. Wow. They're living in the same house. And they don't pick up on it. Well, I will say people learn how to hide it. Yes. I will Mm -hmm. say there are some some crafty people out there. There are. There are. Who know how to kind of blend in. Mm -hmm. And then there are the people who are terrified because they feel invisible and they're not emaciated or overweight. And they feel like, will I ever be perceived as someone who deserves help? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, right. when the people who are like bigger talk about how horrible it is on them, like I, I try to remind people, um, you know, it's not easy to be invisible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those people, some of those people are the ones who don't make it because they always felt like I'm not sick enough to deserve help. Mm-hmm. I look normal in the mirror. Absolutely. So I just don't, I think it's just good to take a breath and realize that not everyone else has it easy either, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just don't know what anyone's carrying, especially if they, quote unquote, look fine. Yeah. You know, which mm-hmm. is just a really dangerous thing to say to someone. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, the horrible things that people hear if they do open up and I have, you know, say, oh, I have an eating disorder, or I told someone I had an eating disorder, and then they said, you look fine to me. Like the knee jerk reaction right. is to look at them physically. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I don't talk pounds and ounces on this show or even mention calories and, and numbers and stuff like that because that's the symptom. Yeah. That's the tree that broke. That's not the tornado. Mm-hmm. And I just really want to talk about the tornado. I, want, I don't want to describe the broken branches all day. That's just me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? We'll see if that's the right way to do it. <laughs> Ten years from now, I'll be like, and this is where I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you used the word model a few times on this um, approach, this intervention. Are there other people chatting with you about maybe emulating this around the world? Or how would we get something like that started if this is effective? Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. I think having, first of all, more mentors mm-hmm. um, would be, I think, a, a really good start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are some states that have a transitional housing program. I think I came across nine, maybe, in the U.S. Um, and they're all kind of different Setups, you know, some are they've got staff 24 hours. Some are only staffed for five hours during the day. Mm-hmm. Some are, you know, tech support, and so it's a little bit different. It's not like a cohesive like this is how it is. Um, but I think if this is something that's positive and working, I've got a lot of people in other states that are doing well that I think that they could really open up something and mm-hmm. and you know model it after this. Mm-hmm. Have people reached out to you and said, hey, you know, I'm 10 years into recovery and I heard about you and I'm interested in how you built this up so far and what would my first steps be? What do you say to them? Make sure you're in a good place. Yeah. Because I started a support group like a year into my recovery and it was definitely way too soon. You were mm-hmm. gung-ho. Yes, mm-hmm. I was. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think I led it for like eight or nine months. And I had a pretty good following, you know, maybe around 20 people, which I think is a lot, especially just knowing the eating disorder community is very quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked at myself and I was like, I cannot support 20 people. I cannot. Like, not when I'm so fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that seems like, the, obviously, it gets diluted the more people you add anyway. Right. You know, if, if someone really needs to talk with you, 
mm-hmm. and they're Can't done quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's where I I get excited thinking about um, the multiplier. Like yeah. if you can teach people, empower them to realize the healing. You know, this sounds very Oprah, but like the power that they have to heal other people. Mm-hmm. Um, once they're in that space where they've been in recovery for years and the good habits are more ingrained in their yep. in their mm-hmm. minds and everything. Um, you know, what would that look like to, to blow this up? Uh, gosh, having transitional housing, uh, transitional home environment. Uh, we even kind of talked about um, having small houses, you know, kind of like a family house where people do get to come into their, like, to their home. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't just be like an actual treatment transitional housing but it would be like we have people around the u.s that are willing to take in somebody that they themselves have gone through it Mm -hmm. um on like a family scale Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that because that's the hard part right is finding people that have gone through it Mm -hmm. that that are willing yeah that want to bring people in because you know we've talked about it people want to kind of step away when they become successful Mm -hmm. and it's hard you know Mm -hmm. get back a little bit and then and help other people because when you look at how many people are turned away at Emily program mm-hmm. or Melrose, I mean, th- there are tons of people out there that need the help. Mm-hmm. And there are tons of people out there that have made it, mm-hmm. you know? So we need to just help each other. And that's, that's I think, the biggest thing. You can get mm-hmm. that, and then you can start building this system, this network, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like uh, Gilda's Club a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, mm-hmm. where you've got a community, um, a different place, but you've got a community where people can go to your resources you know, to learn about eating disorders. Geez, I've got a friend or I've got a partner or I've got a family member. How do I talk to them? Mm-hmm. How do I serve dinner? How do I go to the store? You know, what, do I, what should I be thinking about? Yeah. You know, people need that because they're afraid or they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the people that need to know, well, where can I go for this help? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they need that. And so you grow that community. Um with people, by people that have gone through it and are successful. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the people that we understand. Yeah, I will say that um, when I told my parents about Living Proof Minnesota, I had very divided reactions. So my mom was like, this is not a good idea. You're going to be immersed in people that are unhealthy and it will bring you back there. Mm-hmm. And do you really want to spend your time doing that? Where mm-hmm. my dad was like, you have such an asset to yeah. give to other people like it sounds like a no-brainer like you are ready to like take this on mm-hmm. and it's like i mean i can see both sides right totally logical kind of, exactly but that's where i'm kind of saying is like you really do have to be in a good place mm-hmm. to that's start something of, yeah it's the function of time and just where you're at on your journey mm-hmm. it's exactly. not really a right or wrong it's like no. are you ready yeah like i think i had looked into volunteering at a hospice like right after Kel died mm-hmm. and they were like you're not allowed to F until it's been a year mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're just yeah. you might feel like you need to too throw yourself fresh. into mm-hmm. something but it's just mm-hmm. way too much yeah. and so by, by a year I had started working on the foundation so I've got a place to express myself so that's a lot better cool mm. so what kind of can you talk about your website a little bit what kind of content do you have out there to explain to people what it is you're doing yeah, so the website's a little bit in an evolving uh, workspace. Um, so we've got the mentoring, and I've got some interest in people doing like guided, supportive activities. So let's say we take three people to the zoo and dinner, or to a movie and dessert. 
something like that where they're getting out they're exposed you know exposing themselves um and I, I guess I'm kind of waiting for that to evolve I'm kind of putting that out there it hasn't really taken effect yet um and then I'm working with my husband and then another couple trying to build this nonprofit, the transitional mm-hmm. living space. So, so those are separate, kind of separate entities, or is is the is the website of the nonprofit? Or are they kind of different? So technically, we've got the non the nonprofit, which is hopefully going to be this soon to be home mm-hmm. available for more people than just one or two. Gotcha. Um, and then we've got the for profit. For profit, which I have been doing the mentoring out of. Got it. So we're. I hope to all be under the nonprofit at one point, but until it's, I feel like it's really underway. I had to feel it a little bit separate. Just reorganize it. Yeah, it's ready. Exactly. The reason I asked about that. Do you, do you have? Does Living Proof MN have a YouTube channel or any place to just put ongoing content? We've got um, Instagram and Facebook. Uh-huh. And then the website, and I've got a blog on there, which I should, not should, I could be doing more, <laughs> could be writing more. Yeah, well, um, it's hard at this point because the mentoring has kind of exploded. grown a lot. Mm-hmm. And, Very and fast. It's, you know, it's like this gal from uh, uh, South Africa, you know, you people are all over the world, and, yeah. and, and that's quite a bit of work to try to, mm-hmm. you know, work out. Mm-hmm. And then you have... You know, social media content, you know, mm-hmm. the Instagram, the Facebook, whatever. And trying to get people involved to handle different, different aspects, aspects of that yeah. is where we're at right now, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> once we have that structure and those people, it's easier to, to move on and grow from there, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, finding a place, a bigger place that we can expand the transitional housing uh, mm-hmm. is, is a huge thing right now. Right. That's something we're working on really hard. And then there's that paradox of how big can you let that get before it doesn't feel like home. Right. Because mm-hmm. right. you don't want that institutional yeah. feel, but there's mm-hmm. millions of people who need help. I know. Absolutely. So, and so hard. That's, that's, that's what Shira touched on, is having different families. Yeah, you know, exactly. Right? Because, that, because the family aspect of it is really important. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a big piece, you know. Yeah, food is so social just on mm-hmm. its own. You know, so oh, many yeah. eating occasions are a social thing, oh, or boy. so many times when people eat something they didn't want to it was well I was at this thing and that's what they brought out or they oh god sakes it's someone's birthday again so it's like four times at work this week I had cake for lunch like mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. just constant so dealing with food in a social environment I think has to be part of the recovery right absolutely yeah, for sure mm-hmm. yes you can't absolutely. really shy away from that unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> so we talk a lot about kind of you know America and its discontents and stuff like that and, and also how lucky it is to be here with here in Minnesota with all these medical resources. Can you talk about the international um, picture a little bit? And you can, you know, not have to share names and things like that, but I'm curious when you talk about New Zealand and South Africa and these different places, what's available for people? How are their eating disorders presenting differently? Things like that. What's the experience around the world? Yeah, the experience so far, I've been getting, um, and like I said, we've got England, South Africa, New Zealand and Australia who've kind of reached out. Um, and some people are living in rural places, so there isn't always something available right in that vicinity. But what I'm seeing is that the professionals are not educated. Mm. So even if they had a look like a location, yes, there's those very, very few people that know kind of how to talk the lingo or, you know, talk the walk or whatever it is. 
but it's the actual practitioners, the you know um, family medicine people, the pediatric specialists that don't know anything about eating disorders. Don't know how to recognize it or treat it. Treated or, yeah. you know, they come in and they're a normal, you know, BMI or even obese and they're saying there's no way you could be having an eating disorder. Okay, you know? there they go. So that, that drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the idea, I think it's evolutionary. Like this idea that if, you know, I'm going to like say it in a callous way because I think this is where it's at as the human animal perceives it. Mm -hmm. Like if you're taking more than your body requires mm -hmm. from a limited food source, mm -hmm. you must be the problem. You right. can't possibly mm -hmm. need help. And that is not mental health advocacy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and those, and a person can go up and down and up and down and like, well, explain that one to me. They need help when they're starving. But then when they're binging, they don't need help. Right. Right. Explain that to me. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's one human well, being. It's, yeah, right. it's like we talked before about we can't treat your eating disorder until your trauma is better. Mm -hmm. Or we can't treat your PTSD until your weight is up. Right. Like, excuse me, where can I just be a human being? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know where. Here, here. here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I feel like this has to be a seed and that there's just thousands more like you out there, you know? Um and I guess I'm ambitious for you to grow as well. <laughs> I am so excited. Um, I think even just like the whole education piece, we had an experience at an emergency room here in Minneapolis. And this is like a well-known emergency room. And honestly, they did not know much about eating disorders. And this head of the ER has been there for 25 years. Yep. And guess what the um, solution was? You should go to DBT. And I'm like, dude, I've been dealing with this for seven years. Like, so you can teach DBT. Right. And she's like, this is really helpful. And I was like, like thanks. Did you get that idea from your wise mind? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, you just got the whole solution, DBT. And I mean, at least she recognized, though. She's like, we don't, we don't, we don't specialize in this. Like, yeah. We don't even know. But how do we it. give basic information to practitioners that are seeing this come right. in? Right. Medical school i mean there's there's a, yeah. there's this infrastructure in place to build this it's just not being done right. correctly not, yeah. you know like we'll treat heart disease until right until the end of the world but why does that person have heart disease yeah. why is yeah. their relation with food the way it is um like let's go back and stop looking at the broken branches mm -hmm. and look at the tornado again mm -hmm. so i went to nursing school uh, 11 years ago and they taught everybody to work in a hospital that was the only thing they taught us mm. now does everybody work in a hospital no I've never stepped foot in a hospital to actually work there, ever, since I've had my degree. I've been in home care, I've worked at camps, I've been in nursing homes, group homes, you name it, hospice, mm -hmm. uh, I did my own business for medically complex kids. They did, not, they did not teach towards anything except hospitals. That's the same thing with medical school. They teach to help once people are sick. They don't help with the prevention. They don't help with the mental illness. They don't, most doctors don't even really know how to diagnose or to talk with somebody about that. Mm. Like that is a huge, huge problem is just the education and the knowledge and getting that information out there. It's a sickness industry. It's not a wellness industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how would you make wellness an industry besides buy one more Deepak Chopra book? You know, like <laughs> right. how would you, I mean, because I, I keep coming back to, 
economy is such a big part of our culture mm-hmm. that it feels like if you can't dollarize something and make a business out of it, it doesn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Or if something starts out as a movement, it'll mm-hmm. become a, a business eventually. I had somebody <laughs> reach out to me. I said, I am offering you my mentoring service. And she's like, what's the catch? What are you trying to sell me? Oh, this was just last night. And you said, well, here's my book. It's on Barnes & Noble. No. <laughs> 1, 1, 1 a.m. in the morning when I couldn't no. sleep because I was thinking about living proof. Oh. And I said, you know, I read a post. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I said, it sounds like the Eden Shore is really beating you down. And I said, you know, I started living proof about a year ago. I'm helping people with eating disorders, doing some mentoring. She goes, yeah, what are you selling me? I wow. said, recovery. She goes, I don't believe it. And I didn't hear back from her. Wow. People don't. They, they, they don't think it's possible. There's got to be a profit there somewhere. But, well, and well, they don't you have think it's to pay your bills. Like, you must have some kind of business structure to it. Absolutely. And, and I, it's hard to explain in a tweet or a text <laughs> message to someone like, well, here's how the business side of it is structured, mm-hmm. but I actually am trying to help people. So I've got a sliding scale, uh-huh. and I am not. I have not turned one person away because of money. Really? Um, so, and, you know, I'm hoping that with the nonprofit that we'll have investors or grants to be able mm-hmm. to help everybody that yeah. you know can that needs help and that wants help um but people are like there's no way that you can only charge twenty dollars a session i'm like my goal is to help you recover mm-hmm. if that's twenty dollars or a hundred dollars i'm not doing it for the money right yeah i do need to make a living yes mm-hmm. but that will come in time luckily i've got i've got another nursing job i'm working on the side yeah but it, people think that there's always a little little catch it there. Mm-hmm. So many things end up that way. Exactly. You know? well, and, and the other thing is, they, so they go to this PhD. PhD doesn't know what he or she's doing. Mm-hmm. No clue. Right? They don't have an idea. Well, who do you go to? Well, I can't go to the person that doesn't have a PhD. Why? <laughs> that person just bought a document. The prestige. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? That doesn't mean they've been through it. That doesn't mean they understand it. That doesn't mean they don't know that you know logic. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's been through it does. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a person that, that can help you, that can recognize where you're hurting and, you know. Why why does AA have sponsors and eating disorders don't? Right. That's right. huge. Right. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. That's the teaser mm-hmm. at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. that's that's huge. That's like, I've been trying to think, why does this seem like it should already be everywhere? I but know. Here we sit in this room, four of us. And this is like a novel. Like it's the most deadly idea. mental illness, but then there's like barely yeah. any help. It's like there's barely any help, and you can't not eat. So there's no such thing as abstaining. Right. You can't just wake up today and say today I will not use. Mm-hmm. You have to say, well, I will eat the right amount. <laughs> like that doesn't pack a punch. Right. Right. <laughs> no, and go great on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I've got somebody that said, "What is a normal portion?" She does not know. Right. They have no idea. And no I, idea. I find myself putting my two fists together. Right. Like <laughs> when I, when, because that's supposedly the size of the human stomach. Right. I think. But, um, like, and then, but I'll look at this food and be like, that doesn't feel like it's going to satisfy me. And I have to remind myself, are you saying physically or emotionally? Yeah. Right. Oh, well, yeah. See, that's Ooh, a thing, that's right? Huge. Yeah, I don't have enough fists for that. That's <laughs> huge. I go to any holiday gathering in Minnesota, it's oh, all about filling that stomach. Right, and and that doesn't mean that's it's not about satiating. No, it's about filling the stomach. Yeah, right. And well, that's, that's not. <laughs> yeah, and that that comes from the time period when food scarcity was so very real, real, which yeah. it is in parts of the world still. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying Absolutely. to be insensitive to like sub-Saharan Africa or something, but it's a proving that we have you know the second car and the nice in dr- the nice mm-hmm. zip code and all this stuff. It's a status thing. 
that that you can that you can take more than you need, but is it good for us? Mm-hmm. Right. And at what point do we put status aside and say, you know what, I want my status to be healthy, mm-hmm. and that's going to have to be enough for me, and I don't care if I'm proving to this or that other person, you know, that I have more than I need. Mm-hmm. Like it's an excess thing. We we kind of I think we really admire excess in this country. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I think that just, it has a short-term rush, like, oh, look at my shiny car. If someone compliments my, my car, I get mm-hmm. kind of like, ooh, yeah, I do have a nice car. Mm-hmm. Um, not the one I drove here. <laughs> and, but, but, but how far does that feeling take you? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's what do you very, really get out of it? It's very temporary. Oh, God. I mean, right, Absolutely. so then that's why you have to have more and more and sooner than later. And mm-hmm. Look at the size of my yard, and then look at my tractor, and look at the gas it takes to keep my tractor going. And look mm-hmm. at it. <laughs> get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movement. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is from Amplified!